Welcome to Village Church Gurney Podcast. We are in the series, Hope Amidst the Darkness. Pastor Dan will be preaching from Micah 4, 1 through 5. The name of the sermon is called A Mountain of Hope. Let's join Pastor Dan now. God, we come before you. And we would just say right up front, we need you, Lord. We need to hear from you. And I ask God, in this moment, if you would give us ears to hear, clear our ears of distraction, that we can hear from your word. And God, prepare our hearts that this word would come in and that we would receive it. And God, prepare our legs to live out this word. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, as I travel around the country and visit different places, there's one thing that will always catch my eye. Mountains. Mountains. You know, leaving from the flatlands of Illinois, whether you're driving or flying, and when you see the mountains, it's hard to not just stare at them. They're mesmerizing. Now, as you go out and you look at planet Earth, really the, the, the highest point on planet Earth is the monster Mount Everest. Try to not stare at that picture right there. You know it. Mountains just draw us in. Mount Everest, sitting at 29,029 feet above sea level. Bring us into North America, Alaska, Denali, at 20,310 feet above sea level. It just looks majestic. It invites you in. Now, if we zoom in closer to Illinois, I'm just going to tell you, we don't really have mountain ranges here, but I did a little searching, and I found that the highest point in Illinois is called Charles Mound. It sounds like a speed bump. (laughs) It's at 1,235 feet above sea level. But if you zoom in closer to Lake County, you can feel a little better because my family's been to this. We enjoy going to this. We have a mountain, and it's called Gander Mountain. There's my, I figured out why it's called Gander Mountain because when you get there, you gander around looking to see where the mountain's at. <laughs> and that behind my kid, that is the mountain right there. In fact, we made it to the top, to the summit. It requires some oxygen, so if you go there, just, just know that. This is at 957 feet above sea level, people. This is crazy. And if you get up there, this is the spectacular view that you have. Just what you kind of expect if you were up on Mount Everest, right here in Lake County. All right. Now, we know if we turn, as we turn to this book, the Bible, we see mountains. We see the mountains of Ararat. That's the first mountains mentioned in Genesis 8 where the ark landed. We see Mount Sinai, where Moses received the Ten Commandments. We encounter Mount Carmel, where Elijah took on the prophets of Baal. Jesus was drawn to mountains. It says that Jesus went up on the mountain. He withdrew withdrew to, to mountains. There's favorite places of Jesus, the Mount Transfiguration, the Mount of Olives, and on and on you can see mountains throughout the Bible. And as we turn today to Micah 4, so I encourage you to turn in your scriptures to Micah 4, we come to another mountain. This mountain is called Mount Zion. 
It's the mountain that Jerusalem is built upon. It is 2,510 feet above sea level. Yeah, well, that doesn't sound impressive, but this mountain is central to the Bible, and it's central to this passage that we're looking at today. And Mount Zion deserves the, 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 the tagline, the mountain of the Lord. It's the place where the Lord lives, dwells, and rules. As we turn to these words, we're going to encounter a dramatic turn. See, in Micah 1 through 3 that we've heard in the previous weeks, they have been heavy. Has anyone else been like, this is like every week, it's like, this is heavy. This is heavy stuff. God has been calling out injustices and idolatry of Israel. And the message has been this, brace yourselves for judgment. Brace yourselves for the justice of God. It's coming. And now in Micah 4, we get this amazing word, hope. Hope. Here at the crossing of Micah 3, 12, that's in the previous chapter, in Micah 4, 1, we reach what I call a critical tipping point. What was going in one direction is going to flip into the completely other direction. My family, we like to launch rockets off. And as you launch rockets, they shoot up into the sky. And eventually, they hit to the highest point, and they begin tipping and coming down. What we're going to find here, though, is the direction, the motion is opposite. We see, if we look back in Micah 3.12, a downward motion. Just listen to these words. It says, Therefore, because you of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. You see this leveling of the mountain. It's being plowed down like a field. Jerusalem is be it's being knocked down like ru ruins. It's a downward motion. It's discipline for injustice. And in disobedience that's been piling up year after year, generation after generation, leading to this point of pain, destruction, and despair. Now we need to see here that God is not in some way leveling himself. This is not God destroying himself. It's God allowing Israel to be leveled down. But a tipping point is coming. And it's going to be a major flip. We see... Now in Micah 4.1, an upward motion, an upward movement. Let me read these words. It says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. Up from the ground comes a new, restored, impressive mountain. A mountain of hope is rising. You see the contrast between Micah 3 and Micah 4 that we're going to be in today. They put a spotlight on this tipping point that I've mentioned. In Micah 3, you see the absence of God. He's pulling himself away. In 4, his presence. In 3, his silence. In Micah 4, his voice. In Micah 3, injustice and oppression. In Micah 4, his perfect justice and peace. In Micah 3, idolatry. In Micah 4, devotion to God. In Micah 3, wicked judges and leader. And in Micah 4, one true judge and king. 
In Micah 3, destruction. And in 4, rebuilding. In Micah 3, a plowed down field of despair. And now here in Micah 4, a mountain of hope. This is the critical tipping point that we're about to see an incredible change. And it begins with this message. God has a massive rebuilding plan. Let me read these words. It says, It shall come to pass in the latter days again that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established. It's going to be this high mountain. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the, few, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So we begin asking, when is this massive rebuilding plan going to take place? And the specific timing is not given. It just says, in the latter days. This is not for you and I to know and figure out. It simply means it's going to happen someday. A key turning point is going to happen. It's interesting that the, the, the mention of this exact wording in these verses, if you want to do a little extra studying, you can look this week at Isaiah 2, 1 through 4. It's almost word for word the same passages that we're going to be reading in Micah and Isaiah were contemporaries at the same time. They saw in their day, the day of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come in and attack Jerusalem in 701 BC. Jerusalem would survive that siege, but many years later, in 586 BC, finally, Jerusalem would be attacked and defeated by Babylon and leveled. We see the fulfillment of that passage in, in Micah 3. So while we don't know when, all, when this restoration of the mountain is going to happen, we do know this, that the mountain will be rebuilt. What, will, what was broken will one day be fixed. And not just fixed, as you see in the text, this is going to become the chief of all mountains. It's going to be lifted up above everything else. Mount Zion is going to make Mount Everest look like a puny little anthill. The imagery here points to the glory, honor, strength. This mountain is supreme. And it's not just talking about a physical mountain here. We've got to catch that. But to the fame of the God of that mountain, the Lord Almighty. Mount Zion was a, a symbol of the very presence of God. When people looked at that mountain... It was a visual reminder to them right in front that God was present with them. It was his dwelling. This mountain is impressive because, not because of size, but because it's God's mountain. Catch this, how the psalmist play, uh, words this in, in Psalm 48. The psalmist says, How great is the Lord, how deserving of praise in the city of our God, which sits on his holy mountain. That's Mount Zion. It is high and magnificent. The whole earth rejoices to see it. Mount Zion, the holy mountain, is the city of the great king. So Micah gives us this amazing picture of an impressive mountain rising up, symbolizing the presence 
and power of God. And now look and see what happens next. The people stream to it. It's a picture of, of a, a river of people streaming to this mountain. Now, if you know some things about mountains and rivers, typically rivers come out of mountains, right? But in this case, there is a magnetic draw, drawing that river of people to the mountain of God. It's like when we see mountains, you just stand in awe and they attract you. This, this is what happen, is happening here. This mountain is, in a sense, becoming what, what I see as a billboard. God has placed a billboard reminder. And, it, and this billboard is saying this. Even through the painful process of discipline that we've seen from Micah 1 through 3, even in the midst of that, God's glory will remain. That's the message of Micah 4. God Almighty has never defeated himself. Even when his people rebel and contaminate themselves with idolatry and injustice, still then God remains good and holy and powerful and mighty. You see, God is never in some sort of crisis moment. Even in this year that's been hard, God is not up in heaven thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Like, I didn't expect that to happen. God is not in that kind of, that kind of mode. Over and over through the pages of, of this book, the Bible, you see God at work even when people and nations wander away from him. He has never pushed off his throne. So I have to admit, when I look at this year, 2020, 2020 is going to be one to remember, isn't it? There's days where I wake up and I'm like, what bad thing is going to happen today? Because I have to brace for it. And we've had our fair share from pandemics, the, the, the COVID pandemic, to wildfire, to injustices that are raging across our country and the world, things like racism, to even brokenness in families and in, in, in close hurts that we feel. This, this, in this year, we can feel defeated, right? This is hard. You can be like, God, can we just skip? But then I think, is 2021 going to be like even harder? I don't know. You know what? It, it can feel like there's no hope for this world. And on, on our own, there's a truth to that. On our own, there is no hope. There is no hope. But with God, but with God, there is hope. Because God, again, has a massive rebuilding plan. You see, God is in the business of making the broken whole again, the ruined restored again, the dead alive again. God is in, is in the business of that. And this rebuild is truly going to be massive. In fact, it's beyond just this one mountain, Mount Zion. The rebuild of the mountain is a symbol of God's rebuild of all of heaven and earth. Just turn to the last book of the Bible. Turn to Revelation 21, and you read these words. Then I saw, this is John prophesying in, in, in this vision that he saw. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. That sounds so glorious to me right now. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. God prepared as a bride 
adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and, he will be, and, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. Listen to these words. He's going to wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne says this. Catch these words today. Behold, I am making all things new. Amen to that. Amen to that. In my house, in my home, we're in the midst of a rebuilding pro- project of our own. You see, this summer we had some, some wind, one of those days where there are heavy winds. My back fence just, boop, toppled over, got a little rotted at the base. So we're in the, we're in, in the process of replacing those, those posts. It's not an easy project. You can't just put a Band-Aid on that. I can't go out there with duct tape and kind of be like, hey, now it's good. It, it, it requires, first of all, digging up those old posts in, in the concrete that's stuck down in the ground and then putting the new fence in afterwards. And there's a visual there I want you to see that we can't put a Band-Aid on sin and injustice and oppression. It has to be dug up. It has to be removed. And that's what God is doing. When something is wrong, we have to take it out from its roots. It may be painful, but it's the only way to do things right. And that's what we have to do with sin. And in this place, I'm going to put in the new upgraded posts. And thank God, he is going to put new upgraded selves in us that are not sinful. It says there that all things are made new, not 20%, not 50%, not 70%, not even 99%. 100% made new. This is a full rebuild. We see that this rebuild, again, is beyond a mountain. It's the rebuilding of a house, of a kingdom, of a people. And when it comes to people, God is in the business of turning hearts. You see, we're going to find just this interesting motion in the passage here from the old direction that we saw in the previous chapters, the way of rebellion and idolatry and injustice, where Israel had been going away from God, to now this new movement. And the first one, it comes with in the word come. It's a movement towards the mountain, towards God. It says, it basically, it's to me saying, you see that, that, that massive mountain there? Let's, let's go check it out. Begins with this intrigue with, with coming towards God. That's the beginning movement. But then there's a movement up that mountain. In the passage, it says, the people say, let's go up. They're saying, in essence, kind of, this is amazing. I want to get even closer. I want to know more about the God of this mountain. This is the progression towards God. Towards, then up. And then you see this final movement of in. It says, Let's go to the house of the God of Jacob. And I take that as being going into the house. I believe this. They're saying, I believe this. I'm all in. I want, I want, I want to be a part of this. And this is the process of a heart transplant. The old heart being replaced with a new heart. From turning from going away from God to this critical point of going towards and up and into him. And so this morning, I wonder, where are you at in that, that movement? 
towards and up and in to the mountain. When you make that movement, it's going to start this rebuild inside of you. He begins with that new spiritual heart that he gives us. But he has even more construction, reconstruction to do. And we're going to see just a little bit here in this passage. But the next thing that he's going to change is our ears. He's going to give us new ears to the point where we actually begin to listen to the Lord. Hear this in the passage where it, it, it talks about that he may teach us his ways. They now want to learn from God. The purpose of coming to this mountain isn't just to see it, but to hear from God. And you can remember how Israel was doing before when it came to listening. They were getting a big fat F. And in, in, in Micah 1, he, God calls out and he says, hear. He's like, listen, people. He repeats that in, in chapter 3 twice. Hear this, hear. You're not listening, Israel. And just like Israel, we have some reconstruction to do on our own. Oftentimes when it comes to, to God, it's kind of like when you're at house and some, at your home and someone's like telling you something, but you're kind of doing something else. And, and later on, this never happens to me, by the way, but later on you're like, oh my goodness, what did they say we were supposed to have for lunch? I don't even remember. And sometimes that, that's us towards our listening of God. We need new spiritual ears as well. So there's so much static and noise out in the world. So many things that our ears can, can turn towards. But we need to turn to the word of the Lord. We need to tune into his channel. We need to learn from the master of all masters. So that's about receiving new ears. But out of, we, we, we go from that one rebuilding room to another. Next, we're going to see that we need new legs, actually. We need, a, we need a change of legs. And this is all about actually following the Lord. Seeing, hearing, and then following. It says that we may walk in his paths to actually follow him. True obedience isn't just hearing from God. It's living it out. And again, we know that Israel was failing at that. They were like, they were lost in a cave and they didn't know where to go. And just like Israel, we need new spiritual legs where we actually follow the word of God, listen, and then put it into practice. This is just two parts of the rebuild, but God wants to make every part of us new. And this massive rebuild leads to one more movement, and that final movement is out. You hear this, that, that the word of the, 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 the law of God, the word of the Lord goes out from Mount Zion to the rest of the world. This message of hope is not just for an isolated group of, of people. It's not just for people that go to church. It's for the whole world to see. This message needs to go out. That's really where I see Micah turning next. This God, this, this is God's massive rebuilding plan. And that, that good news continues as we see God lay out an ultimate peace plan. God has the ultimate peace plan for us. Read these words with me. Listen to these words from Micah 4, starting verse 3. It says, He shall judge 
between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. You know, it seems that like our world is stuck in a revolving door trying to find peace. You ever get stuck, you know, you're just kind of going around and around. And that, that, that's, what, that's what it feels like. We're trying to find peace. It never comes. It never comes. You know, World War I was, was called the war to end all wars. How did that turn out? Not so well. Some say that at the end of World War II, the Treaty of Versailles actually laid the groundwork for World War II. And we see, we go from one war to another. We sign peace treaties only for them to be broken. And I want to tell you this morning that ultimate peace is not found in a piece of paper. It's not found in a treaty. It's not found in a piece of paper, but in a person. I'll guarantee you right now that that person is not anyone in this room. It's not me. It's not you. It's not anyone watching on, on, the, on the, the, the live stream video. We don't have the credentials. I mean, I think of growing up, we would try to play football in the backyard. And about 10 minutes in, there'd be some sort of like, if this wasn't even the NFL, we'd be like arguing and fighting. We can't even play football together. I mean, we can't even get along with ourselves. We can't have peace with ourselves. We don't have the credentials. The only person, that person who can bring this peace is Jesus. And it says here that the Lord will take his rightful place to judge and govern. It's interesting when we, when we hear it say, he shall judge between many peoples. We think right away of like a, a certain judge, maybe a judge that you know on TV that, that, that gives verdicts. And that's part of this word here in the scripture. But this word is bigger than that. It, it means to judge and also rule, to govern. It's both of those that, that Jesus is going to bring for us. Only God can bring that kind of peace. He has the, the credentials. And this, this ultimate peace will change the world forever. It's not going to be a minor peace. It's going to be a major peace. It won't just be a tweak. It won't just be temporary. Its effects will not be small. I just want to lay out a couple things that I see here from the Scripture. The first thing is that injustice will become history. Injustice will become history. It says that... Uh, He's going to judge between all these disputes. Nations are going to come, and he's going to settle these things. He's going to be the perfect judge. And what a beautiful picture in a world where we feel and see, see so many horrible pains of injustice all around us daily. Think about this, that one day racism will be gone. Human trafficking, gone. Child abuse, gone. Abortion, gone. Bullying, gone. All forms of injustice, any of that, all of the brokenness, gone. Injustice will become history. And next we see that conflict will become obsolete. It's interesting, this, this phrase where it talks about beating their swords into plowsh plowshares. That's been picked up by even politicians like 
Ronald Reagan in his UN General Assembly address in 1987. Even, even, even in pop music, Michael Jackson included that phrase in his 1991 song, Heal the World. God one day, none of us, but God one day will remove all reasons for inter international conflict. People will not need to go to war again. Destructive weapons like swords are going to be made so that you can plow with them and spears so that you can prune trees. A beautiful picture. There's not even going to be any need to learn about war or battle strategy or combat. All of that is going to be obsolete. And next we see that fear, fear will be wiped out. It says that they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. No one shall make them afraid. Fear will be wiped out. We'll be able to sit and relax and enjoy. Every person is going to have plenty to eat. There's not going to be any hunger. There's going to be plenty of shelter, no homelessness. No worry of things being stolen. No things like, things like locks are not going to be necessary or keys. It's not going to be needed. No concern of someone harming you or taking something from you. No more things like anxiety, stress, depression, gone. You can go around in heaven and try to find this thing called fear, but it will never be found. It will be like a hide-and-seek game that never ends. That's beautiful. And so I wonder, what will launch this ultimate peace plan? And it doesn't, a lot of times in, in our minds, we want to find, what are the five steps to create world peace? Well, I'll tell you, it's not X steps. It's not X steps. It's one person, one king, one judge, one ruler over all. It says here that for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. That's what we can bank on. It, it is th this hope in this promise is launched by the voice of God Almighty. Psalm 46 really kind of echoes this kind of language where it says, The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. And the God of Jacob is our fortress. What a powerful statement. The, the powerful word of God. He is the one. His voice is the one that can bring this kind of peace. It's interesting when you see that, that phrase, the Lord of hosts. Now, sometimes you're going to be like, oh, it's like God put down a little party. He's hosting a party. He's like getting the, all the dishes out and setting up the appetizers. That's not what this phrase means, the Lord of hosts. It's actually a military term. It's like the Lord is the host of a big army. He is the host of the army of angels. He, he has the power to back him up. He is not, this is not some kind of fantasy land, utopia kind of peace that's like, let's just think of good thoughts. This is a host. This is a peace that comes with some power. It has the power to bring this peace. And I tell you, ultimate peace is coming, and it will change the world forever. So I wonder here in this moment, what does this mean in 2020? What does this mean? 
But is the reality is that we live in a time that's, that's often called the already but not yet. We, we are beginning to experience this. Jesus died on the cross. He brought victory and peace. But we're in the not yet where he has not come back and heaven has not been restored. We don't have the new heavens and the new earth yet. It's kind of like in, in football analogy, we're on the one-yard line. And we just have one yard to go, but, but we're on that one-yard line for a, a long time. It's kind of like we're going horizontal to the end zone. But at any point, we could pop into the end zone of history. So here in 2020, I would just say this, that in this moment that, that we are in, that we should seek to bring as much peace and justice as possible in the world that we live in. The, the Bible oozes of that, those phrases to seek justice and to seek peace the, throughout the scripture. And so as Christians, we need to not just give up and be like, hey, we're waiting for God to come back. Good, good luck the rest of the world. No, we need to be advocates of this. But we also need to hold a tender realization that peace will be temporary and elusive in this broken world. And that can be hard. It can get discouraging. You can be like, is this worth it? But hear these words from Jesus. Jesus in John 16 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. It's going to be hard. There's going to be those moments. But Jesus says, don't give up. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And then finally, I want to tell you this. In 2020, place your ultimate hope in God alone. Not in people, not in systems or movements or governments or political parties. Do not put your ultimate hope in any of those. They will fail you. Here in our world, there are constant power struggles. Power shifts from one country to another, from one political party to another, from one group to another people, back and forth, back and forth. Placing our hope in anything of this world is empty idolatry, and it's going to be frustrating. Our hope must always be given supremely to God. Check this out in, in, in another prophet, in Isaiah 9, 6. When you look through that whole, and this is the prophecy of Jesus coming, where it says, for, us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And see that final phrase, Prince of Peace. That's Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And the Prince of Peace says these words to us in John 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. We may not understand why things happen the way they do, or know how God is going to ever straighten out this mess that the world is in. But one thing we can do is confidently look to the future knowing that eventually God will work all parts together in such a way that his plan is accomplished. And this leads us all to the base of the mountain, to the base of Mount Zion. And as we stand at this base of Mount Zion, we, we have a mountainous decision before us. Here at the foot of the mountain, we have really two choices. And you hear this in Micah 4, it says, For all the peoples 
walk each in the name of its God. That's one, that's one choice, to walk in the name of your God. Your choice, whether it's you putting yourself in God or you're following some other God, that's one choice. But look at the other choice. But you can just hear the emphasis in this. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So I wonder, and I ask this morning, what direction will you choose? Away from or toward the mountain of the Lord? It can be so tempting. We can stand here and be like, oh yeah, of course I'm going to go up the mountain. But just know this, it can be so tempting and easy to leave away and follow away from that, to stray away from the path up that mountain. We can get distracted by the so-called gods that catch our eyes, these false mountains that come up. In fact, I think we can learn from Israel. At one point, Israel was, was at the foot of another mountain, Mount Sinai. And Moses, Moses was literally up on top of the mountain, meeting with God and receiving the Ten Commandments. And what did the people do? They were right there. They could hear stuff going on up at the mountain, but right there, they made gods of themselves. They made the idols, the, the, the two calves, and they worshiped them. They said, these are the gods that we follow. Oh, how tempting and easy that is for us to follow. So I asked this morning, what is pulling you from the mountain of God? What is pulling you? Today, make this final phrase the resolve of your life. But we, and you can put in I, but I will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. You see, this is the most important decision you will ever make. Because in the end, it's not really about going up a physical mountain. This mountain is a symbol of someone even greater. Some call it this, this mountain is a shadow of someone even greater. And, and I want you to catch this. This powerful world from the author, the writer of Hebrews. In Hebrews 12, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion. That's where we've been today. That's the mountain we've been looking at. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. When we come to Mount Zion, look who we come to. We come to Jesus. Now someday in this lifetime, I hope to get to Israel. I hope to, with my own eyes, see the places that we read in the Bible, to see Mount Zion. But even greater than that is the day that I will have, and if you are following Jesus today, that you will have to see this new mountain rise up. And for us to see there the glory of Jesus high and lifted up. And in that mountain, we will, in that moment, we will be able to look up towards Jesus and towards a mountain of hope. Let's pray. Jesus, we need this word. In our lives, we need to be rebuilt. 
Our lives are a mess. And we see in our world, our world is a mess. Our world is hurting. And Jesus, we need you. Help us to receive in this word and to come to the mountain and to come to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.vcgurney.org.